Friends, if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43? Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Now, I want you to follow along your Bible for two reasons. One, if you read it with me, I think the words are going to, to absorb into you more easily. And secondly, I want you to follow along in your scripture so that you can see I'm not making this stuff up because it's just so good. And it's not my words, it's the words of God for us, for, for you. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Most scholars would agree that actually these two psalms are actually one, and no one's really sure why they are divided into two. But they offer some incredibly practical advice to us as we continue to live in these difficult and uncertain times. You'll remember that over the last few weeks, We've been talking about what it means to, to check the engine of our heart, to, to check our lives and to, to, to look at some important levels and to see how we're doing. Today I want to talk about what it means to check our hope level, H-O-P-E. Because the reality is in difficult times, in times of uncertainty, in times of confusion, in times of chaos, as we are living in now, one of the first levels in our heart to deteriorate is our hope level. And if we lose hope, then it just gets harder and harder and harder for us to come back. So I've been thinking this week, what is a diagnostic tool that we can use to look at ourselves and to look at our heart to determine our hope level? And I found one. And this simple diagnostic consists of just two words. And my guess is, that you have ushered these two words, you have thought these two words, or you have spoken these two words sometime probably pretty recently. These words of diagnosis that help us understand our hope level are simply when will. Have you used those words? If you have, type yes. When will? When will we be able to get back to normal? When will we be able to go on vacation again? When will we be able to visit with friends? When will, when will, when will? These two words are loaded because they tell us when we use them, that something is not as we want it to be. When we use the words, when will, we're hoping for something, knowing that we are speaking from a place of depleted hope, because something we want, something maybe we need, isn't there. When will. 
And so these two Psalms are written by someone who was in a when-will moment. The guy who wrote these Psalms, as best we can understand it, was a worship leader. He was a Levite who led the worship, and this leader was a special one because he would take trips of people and pilgrims on trips and pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they would just have an incredible time as they stopped and they worshipped God. And in this moment, when our author writes this psalm, he's in a when-will moment. When will I go back to Jerusalem? When will I lead worship again? When will I lead people again? And those when wills have depleted hope in his life. And it's from that position of hopelessness that he writes this psalm. What I love about this psalm, understanding that context, is that this psalm talks to us about some things that we must do to hold on to hope in moments when our hope feels very vulnerable and when we're asking the when will questions. So let's read through his words, his song, his journal, if you will, and see what he does to refill, to refuel his hope levels so that he can start to function as normal. Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of living water, so I long for you, God, I thirst for you, God, because you are the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long, people will come and say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart. How I walked with many leading the festival procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. The first thing that this young man is doing as his hope tank is depleting is that he makes a decision that he's going to long for God. As the deer longs for streams that are flowing, so I long for you, God. Maybe there's a deer close by. He talks about it. It's a, a female deer, a, a doe. It's a hot country, a dry land. And he sees this deer just walking around, probably with his tongue hanging out, just panting for this thing that he knows is going to refresh him, that's going to replenish him. 
And he says, God, I'm just like that deer. I realize and I recognize that my hope tank is depleted. But like that deer wants the water, so I want you. I thirst for the living God. It's so important, don't miss it here in verse 1, that he says, I'm thirsting for the living God. Because he's living in a world as we are today when there are all kinds of little G-gods around and he's realized that as he goes to them for refreshment, they don't just refresh him. They can't offer him what he needs. He says, I want to go before the living God, the real God, because he's the only one that can thirst me. You know, we've all been in a hot climate. Most of us live in Florida, right? And so we've all had this experience of being desperate for some cool water. I remember one of the first times when I stepped foot in Florida in my adult life. One afternoon I went out to play soccer, which I love, and I thought I was in England where it was a little bit cooler and I could run around. And so I did, and the game ends, and I realized, just give me some liquid. And the nearest thing I could find was a, a can of Coke. So I picked it up and I drank it and it quenched my thirst for a moment, but it didn't satisfy my thirst. The writer of this psalm is saying, I've tried all the cheap alternatives and they don't satisfy. But I am hungry for the very real hope that comes from the living God. I want the real deal. What I love about what's happening here is that he realizes that his hope tank is low and he realizes that in order to fill it back up and for hope to come, he has to keep wanting hope. And so I want to encourage you today, don't give up on hope. Even if you don't have it, want it. Even if you don't feel you can attain it right now, thirst for it, hunger for it, desire it. You may not have it, but you can still want it. That's his story. Some of us will say, oh, you don't understand. It's too hard. It's too hopeless. If I want hope, I'm just going to set myself up for failure. Let me tell you, wherever you are right now, you are not in as desperate a situation as this guy. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Not only does that tell us that he can't sleep, it tells us that he can't eat. And it tells us that he is in a pretty dark place because the pain is so much that he can't stop crying. He, he says, God, I pour out my heart, but where are you? He says, to compound that, to, to make it worse, all day long people are saying to me, where is God? He's abandoned you. This guy's in a bad place. His hope tank is nearly empty. But as it's empty, he says, God, I want you. 
I long for you. I yearn for you. Friends, as you look at your life, the false gods aren't going to satisfy you. As you look at your life, perhaps in a place of hopelessness, from there, I would implore you, I would encourage you, want hope back. Long for those times when it will get better. Yearn for those moments when you will be full again. Desire those times where everything is as it should be. Don't give up your longing for hope. You know, it's interesting here, just going back to the first verse, 42 verse 1. He mentions everything that we need for survival. As the deer pants, he's talking about breath. He's talking about flowing streams and and water. But he says, if I don't, if I do have food and if I do have water, and if I do have air to breathe with, but I can't connect with God, then I'm missing out. He's saying that those basic human needs aren't enough for him to fulfill his hope. And that's the same for us. When you're feeling hopeless, and I know many of us are right now, many of us have said, when will? The first thing we must do is not surrender this longing for hope. There's a second thing that he encourages us with. But it starts off by revealing a little bit more of the hopelessness that he's feeling. Listen to some of the words here. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Dejected. Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. He's my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. He's not in a good place. But notice what he's doing in this second transition in the psalm. He's expressed his longing for hope to return. But now he does something else that we must do too if we want hope to return to us. He remembers hope. He remembers hope. He talks about being dejected. He talks about being in turmoil. Verse 6, he talks about being deeply depressed. But then he says, because of that, I will remember you. I will remember you. What he's saying, and he's saying it to me and he's saying it to you, is that when we are feeling hopeless, not only must we long for hope, but we must remember those times when we had hope. 
And we must remember those times when God came through. Remember, remember. This idea of remembering God's goodness is one of the the central themes of Scripture. In the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the stories, God is always encouraging people, remember. When Jesus came and he lived and he taught, he encouraged people to remember the faithfulness of God. As the disciples went out and went about their missionary journey, they encouraged people to remember God. Remember those times in your life when God came through for you. If you want to refill this hope tank that is feeling very low on hope, one, don't forget to want hope. And secondly, very practically, he says, remember hope. Remember hope. It's real. It's a thing. It's got you through before and it'll get you through again. He goes even further into the depths of despair. He says, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your billows have swept over me. It's interesting, initially he was talking about thirst, now he's talking about drought and drowning. He's saying, I feel overwhelmed, I'm in the deep, and just when I think I've hit the bottom, it gets even deeper. And then in that painful place, your breakers and your billows sweep over me. And he's in this really dark, difficult place. And we get it because we've been there. Maybe some of you are right now. But in that deep place, this is what he says. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. In the midst of his hopelessness, he's remembering that God won't abandon him. That like a love letter from heaven, God will send his faithful love. There's this new little service that I've signed up from the post office. I didn't know it existed. But you type in your email and they, for some reason, scan in your mail and send you an email in the morning about what's coming in the afternoon. And a couple of days ago when Tracy was sick... I saw in the morning that there was a, what looked like a card coming her way. And in the difficulty of our isolation, I remembered that God was finding a way to tell of his faithful love to her through this card that was on its way. It's the same for you. Our hope tank can be quite low but God will send his faithful love to you. We got to remember that. We got to remember his promises. We got to remember that he doesn't abandon us. He won't leave us. He's not going to forsake us. Just remember, remember, remember. His son will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Man, I'm feeling hopeless. 
But I remember that God is in charge of my life, not me. Everything feels shaky and unstable. But verse 9, I will say to my God, you're my rock. He's still struggling with the emotion and the pain and the difficulty. He wants to say to God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of this oppression? Why are my adversaries taunting me as if they're crushing my bones? I mean, he's in a bad way. But even in a bad way, he's remembering God. Just a little aside about this. Sadly, we've created a culture where we think we can't get upset at God. You know, I suspect if God, who knows everything about us, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, if he came down and said, hey, how are you doing today? That most of us would give a response that said, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm having a nice day. I don't think God likes those plastic responses anywhere near as much as he likes the real responses, even if the real responses we give are full of doubts and questions. God's not opposed to our questions. He would much rather us be real with him than be plastic with him. Let me tell you, it's okay to get upset with God. You don't have to stay there. You shouldn't stay there. But God wants you to be real with him. He concludes this part of his despair by saying, verse 11, put your hope in God. I'm still going to praise him. He's my savior and my God. There's a crucial little turn here as well. You'll notice that beforehand throughout the psalm, he's been talking about God. A distant God. One who was in control. One who has been seemingly nasty to him, he felt. But now he mentions God in another phrase. He says, not just are you that God, but you're my savior God. You're Jehovah, the God of the covenant, the God who faithfully cares and who is tenderly there and listens to me when I'm hurting and captures my tears and keeps them because he loves me. I don't know about you, but in these difficult times, it's real easy for the hope tank to feel kind of empty. And in those moments, the psalmist says, I'm going to keep wanting God. He says, I'm going to keep remembering God. And I'm going to declare my hope while I'm still waiting for that hope to come. Psalm 43 He's in a difficult place. His hope tanks low. He says, vindicate me, God. Champion my cause. Against an unfaithful nation, rescue me. For you are God, my refuge. 
Verse 3, send your light because you are the light and your truth because you are the truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I can come to the altar of God, my greatest joy, and I can praise you. Because we'll be back together again. And when I'm in your presence, my hope tank is full. So why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I'm still going to praise him because he's my Savior and my God. You see what he's doing here? You can almost tell. You can almost see the battle inside of him. Am I going to stay dejected? That's where I want to be. That's where my emotions are leading me. But then there's this truth that I want because I remember God coming through. And I'm going to make a decision not to live in the difficult emptiness, but I'm going to declare the goodness of God even before I get to the fullness of God. Does that make sense? He's saying, I declare hope. Do I have it right now? No. Is my hope tank full right now? No. But because I long for it, because I know God is faithful, I'm going to declare that it's on our way. You know, the word declare is... uh, difficult one in the church. It's been abused by a lot of the prosperity teaching that says that if you just declare it, you can have it. I declare I want a new car, a private plane, a bigger house. That's not how it happens. But we can declare hope to come our way because God has promised that he will send that. And he's done it before. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's this funny scene in the office, the sitcom The Office. The kids and I have a lot of fun with it. And Michael, the manager there, is having some financial problems. And so he walks into the office and he says, I declare bankruptcy. Because he's heard that you can declare bankruptcy and all your money problems go away. And so his co-workers say, it doesn't quite work like that. You can't just say you're bankrupt and then your problems go away. And he says, I didn't say it. I declared it. <laughs> and what the psalmist is saying here is that he declares that hope is going to come to his life. To put it another way, a way that honestly I'm more comfortable with, he says, I am choosing hope even though I don't have hope right now. I am hoping in the one who is the light and the truth. I am hoping in my Savior and my God. I am hoping in the one who will rescue me, who will vindicate me, who will take me up his holy mountain right before God and the God who will restore my greatest joy. Man, that's such good news. Life is so hard right now. We don't know whether we're coming or going. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We can't understand yesterday. We're just living in the moment. 
We've got so many when wills. And those when wills are an indicator that our hope tank is emptying. And from an empty hope tank, I encourage you, as the psalmist did, to say these three things. One, even though I don't have hope, I long for it. I want it. I desire it. Don't give up that longing. Secondly, remember hope. Remember that God has come through. Remember that God is faithful. Remember that God is for you. And then thirdly, in that place of emptiness where hope is low, Declare hope. Choose hope. I don't want to say fake it till you make it. That does the the depth of this scripture a disservice. But God has promised that he will fill you. And so even if you're not full right now, choose to live in hope until you are full. Towards the end of this psalm, there's a progression that goes. Lord, when you lead me, verse 3, you bring me to the mountain, a little bit closer to where you are. Then I'll come to the altar of God, really close to where you are. And then I'll realize again that you are my greatest joy I'm intimately where you are. And I think step by step, level by level, that's the journey that God has us on when we're feeling hopeless. Hear me say this. God wants to restore your hope and he wants to restore your joy Because he is crazily in love with you. And as we ask, step by step, he will bring us back. He will fill our hope tank. But we must, and I must, and you must, keep longing for hope. Remember hope. And declare hope in our lives. From a moment of when will, he says this, put your hope in God. I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Can we pray together? Lord, with everything that's happened and everything that's happening, it's so very easy for our hope tank to become depleted. 
And as our hope lowers, we lose much. We start being afraid. We start worrying. We start dropping the when will statements. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I pray for myself, and I pray for our church, and I pray for this world, that you would start to fill us with hope again, that you would help us to long for hope as the deer pants for the water, that you would help us to remember hope that you are faithful to fulfill us and that you would help us, even though we don't have much of it, to declare hope. Hope not in a distant God, but hope in an ever-present Savior who later we realize is called Jesus. and who traveled down from heaven and made his appearance in the form of a man. And as he loved and as he lived and as he taught, he was hung on a cross hopelessly for a hopeless humanity. But in rising again, not only did he fulfill, not only did he forgive, but he started fulfilling and pouring into and filling up our hope tanks. Lord Jesus, would you do that again? Help us to long for you. Help us to remember you. And help us to declare your goodness from right where we are. And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.